Good morning, children, and welcome to the planet Daria. We're going on a fascinating ride through the universe, so I want you to lean back in your chairs and get comfortable. This is stupid. And now I'm going to dim the lights and let the stars come out. Whoopee. Here we see the constellation called the Big Dipper. If I project a drawing of a Big Dipper on top of it, we see where this constellation gets its name. These stars over here form the constellation of Taurus, the bull, while these stars form the constellation Roger Ebert. And these two little stars over here form the constellation the Crusades. Now, stars are actually made of hot gas, which is exactly what comes out of oh, Roger man, Ebert's mouth. And now, breathe deep as the stars slowly start to move in little circles. I know you think planetariums are boring, but I'm going to try to change the way you think about that. You will not remember what happens here. To remember it will cause incredible pain. Incredible pain. Incredible icky pain. Abs in a six-pack! Abs in a six-pack! Hello, Abs in a six-pack. Abs in a six-pack is not the greatest podcast in the world. I know, Abs in a six-pack is a bad show, but what else do you have going on? It's Abs in a six-pack, episode 219. I'm here with Mario Garza of Symbolic Studies. And this is not a new live son of a bitch. This is a pre-recorded son of a bitch. Un- Believable, but yeah, man. Thanks for coming back on. It's been, God, I don't know. It's been like what half a year, a year, something. It's been a hot. It's been a while. I think something like that. Yeah. yeah, maybe around a year or so. But yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Dude, yeah, thanks for coming on. I had, uh, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just start with this. I think when we first spoke, I was maybe fifteen percent on the flat Earth camp and eighty five percent on the round Earth camp. And where I sit now, I think it's a solid fifty fifty. Like a coin flip. <laughs> got it. Got it. Right on. So, awesome, man. And one thing that has, it's not even been as much the flat earth proof that has convinced me, but the the debunkers of flat earth are so un- unconvincing that I'm, I'm leaning more and more towards flat. Right. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. Um, interesting. <laughs> Thanks for the update. Uh, I, you know, the word, I maybe talked about this last time, but the phrase flat earth comes with so much baggage i don't even personally use it myself when i talk to other people generally right we went in deep into the heliocentric versus geocentric i think is how you like to term it right yeah absolutely because flat to me you know i really think that pretty much the whole conversation revolves around spin what's spinning uh, the heavens above our head or you know what we're actually on and i think that the stars in the heavens are are what's really spinning so that's to me the whole huge debate is what is twirling around right and so the flat versus round sort of thing it gets pretty messy messy and tricky um so i i generally avoid flat earth as a as a that's, phrase personally that's fair yeah now, since you brought up the stars spinning overhead, what are stars? Do we know? My personal opinion, and this might be fairly woo or really woo for some people, but I actually think we're looking at the underworld. So essentially, I think what's happened is we are looking at the underworld or the spirit realm. And so what we've been taught our whole lives is that it's actually 
a physical place that you can travel to and you can land on these bodies. And we've been shown many, many movies over the years where people hop on a ship and they take off and they land on the moon or some other planet. And I just don't think it really works that way. Personally, I think it's propaganda. I think sci-fi as a genre in general is one of the greatest propaganda genres that we currently have. Um, And I used to love everything related to sci-fi and space and Stanley Kubrick and aliens and things like that. But essentially, I think what they've done is kind of taken something that has a really potent metaphysical sort of spiritual um, kind of backbone or framework, and they've really made it material. And I just I don't think it works that way personally. And so this is why the ancients in so many different cultures, they've looked towards the sky for answers, right? And they've used the sky for divination purposes, and they encoded many myths and storylines right into these stars, and they've taken a, a lot out of it. And I think it really has to do with the fact that what you're really looking at is probably more so related to the spirit world than anything actually tangible. But of course, like I said, that's what we learn in school. We learn how far the moon is away, how big Mars is, you know, all of these different properties that the scientific method likes to kind of bestow upon us. But I think there's a lot more to it related to, uh, you know, all, all of that kind of woo woo type stuff. Yeah, I guess if we spelled sci-fi like P-S-Y as in psychological <laughs> yeah, or psyop, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the oh, you said something else that triggered a thought, but I'm already losing it. Um, well, if I think of it, I'll come back to it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, no worries. I um, oh, that's gonna bug me forever. Oh well. Um, <laughs> the oh, that's what it was. The um, okay, so if astrology seems. And, and putting significance in the heavens and the stars seems kind of goofy if you if the model of the universe you have is that it's physical objects out there mm. mm-hmm. very far away. But if it is um, some kind of if would ethereal be the right word, some kind of um, spiritual realm that we're looking at in the skies, then predicting someone's personality based on what we see in the heavens would be less. um Goofy, I guess, because astrology was something that I always poo pooed until like more and more I'm open to it. But it, to me, it was and I think Facebook and Instagram white bitches kind of ruined this for me. But just like like dumb whores, but doing their horoscope of the day was my kind of my introduction to astrology, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. So that, oh, but yeah, now sure. but but now I'm I'm increasingly more and more open to it. And I, um, so. I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it makes a lot more sense if um, the NASA version of the universe isn't exactly what we live in. And it is there is a lot more significance to it. There's a reason the ancients were obsessed with it, like you said. Yeah, exactly. I think in a lot of ways, symbolically, the heavens, the night sky, the stars, all of these constellations, they really symbolically, they're related to a root system, a really ancient root system. So. When people say that we come from the stars, it's no different than, you know, um, a tree saying I come from my roots. Um, And so when you look into the deep, deep esoteric symbolism of the night sky, it actually has a lot to do with the earth. 
And there's a few different deities uh, or goddesses that really play into this. Um, speaking of astrology, Virgo, right? The Virgin, she's known as the Queen of Heaven, but she's also known as the, the Queen of Earth as well. And so the further you look into Virgo symbolism, she's uh, referred to as the Stellar Virgin. And so she is connected to the stars, right? And so this is why the Virgin Mary, uh, a lot of the times she's wearing kind of like a cloak um, and it's covered in stars, right? And so this virgin idea, a lot of queens throughout the world, this is what they're emulating. They're actually emulating Virgo and a lot of her sort of um, different attributes and some of the symbolism that she's connected to. And so there's this old sort of concept that the heavens above symbolically represents uh, a primordial goddess and then the earth that we live on literally is related to the exact same goddess. And so the more I kind of find out about this symbolism, the more intrigued I am for sure. But the more it kind of makes sense that we would actually um, kind of unite these two on a, on an esoteric sort of level, the, the night sky and the, the soil underneath our feet. And so I see it both as being very feminine. So as above, so below, she kind of resides, you know, above us and below us. And so, um, yeah, but to answer your question about or to kind of just riff on the astrological thing, I actually think personally that astrology is way more helpful when you actually integrate all of the signs and when you look at this as an archetypal system and that you're related to all of the signs. So all of these signs, you know, they're not outside of you. They're actually meant to describe your inner world and and your psychology and kind of the uh, blueprint of your spirit, if you will. And also, too, with astrology, I don't necessarily think that this is the end-all, be-all system either. In fact, the more I study this stuff, the more I realize that astrology is, is actually a newer system. You know, compared to our lifespan, it's really old and ancient, but there were other systems before this. And so um, I'm on this whole kick right now about living us living in a solarized world and us living in a solar age. And it seems as though there have been three main symbolic ages. We live in a current solar age, which seems to have been preceded with a lunar age. And then the earliest age, to me, um, seems to be a polar age or a stellar age, where actually the fixed stars and even the northern sky, which I go on and on about, um, these stars and in this portion of the sky, the North Star and Ursa Major and things like that, these circumpolar constellations, they actually represent an older classification or an older tier of deity. So when you're getting into mythology, it seems as though a lot of what these myths are about and what they're encoding is literally the age of these gods, the age of uh, these different deities. And so everything related to the sun, including astrology, because the signs of astrology are along the path of the sun, the ecliptic, this is a newer tier of God. So the astrological signs are a newer God. And I would consider the sun actually to be a newer God as well. Um, but in the stellar polar tradition, the oldest symbolic age, um, the earth was considered to be very much like a core part of all of this. And so even the earth, in a lot of ways, is kind of considered uh, an older god. I think the sun really um, was kind of thrust upon us in many ways. And I think that solar worship has become a thing 
over the last, I can't even really say, it seems like with Christianity, it really came into play, you know, um, in so many different ways. But I, I see that these, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask what, could you explain what stellar means? Cause when I, or Stella, I mean, cause when I, I just think of Stella, Stella Artois or something, or what is that exactly? <laughs> yeah, I think and pretty much, uh, it just means star, right? So, um, even oh, duh. the Virgin Mary sometimes, okay, yeah. interstellar, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure the Virgin Mary, she has been referred to as Stella Maris, which means the star of the sea. And the star that they're actually referencing with this is the North Star. And so sometimes she's depicted with the North Star. And so she's kind of become a um, a correspondence for the North Star, the goddess of the North Star. And so she's said to be the guiding star of Christ. And there's a reason why when people are kind of aligned uh, with their true path, they're said to be following their true North, right? Um, the mm-hmm. North Star was the preeminent navigational star so there are other constellations that people used to get from point a to point b um you know different seafarers and and sea cultures and things like that but it all has to do with its proximity or relationship with the north so if you don't know where the north star is and if you don't know where these constellations are in relationship to the north star um i don't know if you're gonna know necessarily where you're going because the north star is the hub of a great wheel essentially it's the center of the heavens it, it's the one that doesn't move while everything spins around it right correct yeah and to me that that's one of the biggest evidences of uh geocentric as opposed to heliocentric is how if if we're spinning through space at a, like the galaxies flying through space in a million miles an hour how is that thing always staying in the same spot it just doesn't <laughs> right it doesn't something doesn't add up there and i've never really heard that explained by a quote-unquote scientist or astrologer right right what, what's really happened too it, it's an issue of spin but with spins, uh, anything that spins, so just think of a wheel, it has to have a point of pivot. It has to have an axle. So the North Star is that axle. And actually, the axle that the ancients used to refer to, it's gone by many different names and there's many substitute symbols, but it's called the world axis. And so if people want to look into the world axis, sometimes it's called the axis mundi. What you're looking into is the axle, the symbolic axle or the symbolic bridge that connects all realms, you know, all realms above and below. And so this corresponds with the northern portion of Earth. So it's called the North Pole. And then the North Star is also known as the Pole Star or Polaris. And so it's also been um, kind of compared to a pole, a pole in the middle of this great system that revolves um, and connects, again, all realms above and below. And so this idea or this concept is really, really significant in the ancient world. And so a lot of people saw that the heavens revolved around one central star. And there's actually a debate, too, whether or not this star changes. And so the more research I do and the more I talk to people, the more I'm finding out that there's actually, I would say, probably more of a minority of people out there. But it's a growing minority of people, of serious researchers, who think that the North Star has actually never changed. And so that's something that kind of flies in the face of kind of conventional history and everything else. They say that the North Star has changed and that there's different charts that you can follow uh, 
Draco is a constellation that's in the northern sky. It's a large serpent. And they say that one of the stars in Draco was once the North Star, the central star. Uh, But again, a lot of people nowadays, I'm coming across at least, are saying that actually it's never changed. It's always been stationary. It's always been there. So it's always been reliable. And so that's why it's known as uh, an imperishable star, right? These eternal stars that are there night after night in the exact same location, specifically the North Star, right? Um, But this axle has been compared to a bridge and also a stairway. And so this world axis, for a lot of cultures, um, again, they have different symbols that they would use to describe it, but they believe that this was the stairway to heaven and that your soul ascends to the north upon death. And really what we're talking about is a gigantic world tree system or a gigantic toroidal system, if you know what that is. You know, that there is this central axis uh, with the Taurus field, it's called a uh, hyperbola. In the world tree, it would be the trunk of the tree, but that there is this thing that connects uh, the above and the below, and it's central to uh, this domain. And really, this is what we're getting into. What I was going to say is that the center of everything has switched. And so this might be the pole shift that people have talked about for years now, that it once was the pole star and the uh, northern portion of Earth, which, by the way, a lot of people think that Eden or the original utopia or paradise existed at the north. So this gets into an Arctic origin sort of storyline. There, there's lots of different groups out there that think that humanity originated from the north and then migrated away from the north. And as we migrated away from the north, we lost our understanding of this sacred center sort of location. And so um, what's changed is what is considered the center here of this domain. And when you go east and you look into more Eastern philosophies and, and spiritual practices and stuff, the sacred center is of supreme importance, um, as is your sacred center, right? So the still point within or your authentic self, right? So the center of the wheel, the center of a mandala, these things are um, really, really significant. And so the idea is that the center was once the north, with which corresponded with the northern sky, the north star, but it switched over and there is a pole shift from polar to solar. So now the sun is considered to be um, the center of everything. And now we live in a solar system. Um, but I actually think it's more accurate to say, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I think it might be more accurate to say that we actually live in a polar system, not a solar system. Not everything revolves around the sun. To me, this is kind of a modern sort of concept. And I think that there's a lot of, um, I guess, I, I think it's kind of a, it's it, it's meant to lead you astray. And I think that there's lots of things kind of tied in with heliocentrism and this solar sort of uh, centric perspective that I think simply just isn't, isn't true or accurate, in my opinion. Okay, that was a little a lot to unpack there but okay so do you think um yeah there's a bunch of different ways i could ask questions that branch off that but okay so basically astrology then is kind of like um like you said what what we're in now there's been different uh ways to map it out in in past eras so kind of like math Mm -hmm. mathematics or language it's all describing and mapping out the same thing but somebody might see two of something and not call it two. It's like one, two, three, four, all that still exists, but there's different ways of mapping it out. And some are more intricate than others. Is that kind of 
like is, um, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but like a, so astrolo- astrology is a, a set of tools that are it's still it's still human um, human ideas that are put on uh, the to describe reality in a way. So like math math and like if I say tree and you know I'm talking about a tree, it's that it's true in one sense and not the other. Is that astrology is like basically a way of mapping out reality and the stars and uh I don't yeah, know. Maybe I, I see sense. what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um and and the thing with maps is that the map is not the terrain. So if you have a map, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you follow the map and you walk to a specific location that it's going to look like what it looks like on the map. And so that's kind of another thing with uh, flat earth or geocentrism is realizing that cartography is also something that has been weaponized and used against us. And so when I look at Google Maps, as an example, I have a very sort of clear understanding that a portion of this is propaganda that yes it'll allow me to get through the city and go to the restaurant that we're looking for but on a larger scale they've given us a map that isn't actually accurate to real life and so uh, maps you know should be used uh, but they should also be understood that it is no matter what no matter how accurate the map is it is not the terrain and so i think that that is one of the big tricks that has kind of been used um against us is uh giving us these maps and humanity just being convinced that these maps are accurate and that these maps should be followed and so that's what i think about all the systems so the tarot astrology all of these divination systems um they're representations of something that do exist but there's always something lost in translation you know it's not really it's not the most entirely accurate thing out there because simply put it's a simulacra it's like a simulation or it's a it's not the actual thing itself so i i kind of put maps in that category okay so so like how maps language and mathematics are theoretically human created um systems to describe reality would astrology be the same way was it like was some kind of astrological system maybe divinely given to us by some kind of spiritual entity or gods gods or goddesses or was that something that humans also invented to describe i mean this is obviously speculation but right right that's a good question you know for me personally i don't really I, i haven't spent too much time trying to unpack the origins of it because it seems like obviously the further back you go in history, things become incredibly fuzzy. Mm. And so I've heard different things about, obviously, uh, a lot of deities that are heavily associated with Mercury. So I'm thinking of like Thoth. Um, They're considered to be the ones that give us information, teach us mathematics, teach us, you know, the ways of these different sort of sciences that we have here. So yeah, that's kind of the traditional uh, viewpoint is that it was given to us but this could be also a metaphor for an earlier civilization giving us you know these tools as well so it's not necessarily one deity but it got passed down however it did um whether or not it's man-made or something else i can't really say that's part of the mystery of everything and i'm actually starting to really embrace um the mystery in different ways that i didn't embrace it before so I'm trying to ask better questions as an example versus 
being focused on answers because really uh, the whole study of symbolism and, and, you know, esoteric information, it's such a deep well that it's almost like the more research you do, the more questions you're going to have anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like even the answers are kind of fleeting, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't really have, you know, an accurate answer for you. I can see the case perhaps either way. I would, I'm not opposed to the idea that it's a man-made thing, but that it's been refined for so long that it's embedded all of these different sort of lessons and truths and stuff into it. On the other hand, some of the stuff that is connected with astrology is so amazing and kind of mind-blowing that it makes you wonder if it's even possible to be a man-made sort of system. Right. But, um, you know, when you go around the world, though, it, there's not a consensus on these constellations. And so a lot of the constellations are fairly universal. Um, I'm, I'm thinking mostly of the uh, astrology signs the 12 astrology signs although there's the case to be made that there's a 13th sign which kind of breaks this whole entire paradigm as well which we can talk about if you're interested Um, but if you go around the world you're going to see that different cultures have different interpretations of the signs and so it's not always twins for gemini as an example Uh, i i think the aztecs refer to it as like fire sticks you know and there's just different variations on the theme and so uh that's something that's kind of of interesting and unique with this study too is uh seeing what different groups around the world what they saw and i love doing that i love syncretizing all the information and i love seeing how different people saw these you know stars and how they interacted with them and what they thought so i like getting a a, you know as broad of a perspective as i can about these things right and seeing what correlates throughout different cultures because that's usually where the the money is or like the uh (laughs) For lack of a better term, that's where that's where the the, the truth lies. Um, yeah, right. To backtrack real quick, so sure. the original or the like the seed, the birthplace of civilization, or our uh, up north around the North Pole, um, like where our our roots, our birthplace, I guess, or whatever, or at least where we used to consider the um, uh, where we used to consider home, or I guess is kind of what you're saying. Is that why the Nazis were so obsessed with like going up there and building bases in like the snowy tundra in Antarctica and in around the North Pole because they were trying to, cause I know they were obsessed with finding some kind of um, like footprints of ancient civilization and ancient technology, Atlantis type shit. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately I think the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that uh, 100% yes. I don't know if I have mentioned this before, when I was on last time, there, there's a decent chance that I did because it was such a transformative little experience for me. But I thought it was absolutely amazing when I went to India in like 2014, 2015. And we landed in Mumbai. Shortly after we landed, a younger Indian guy approached me and my friend, wanted to have a conversation, very, very friendly. And we ended up talking for like an hour at a coffee shop. And without prompting him, he told me that his guru teaches a flat earth model. And I was like, oh, well, that's pretty amazing. I'm like, I'm literally reading about this right now. I'm interested. And we had a conversation about it. He said something along the lines of, you know, a lot of Western people don't realize that the globe model is actually like a, a hoax or propaganda or it's a lie or something like that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. A lot of people over there don't realize that. I'm just barely realizing that this is even a possibility that there's this alternative model out there. And so a few weeks later, we're in a different part of India, and I was amazed to see 
in this small Indian town that all of their taxis in this specific town, they all had red swastikas on the window. And right next to the swastika in big red bold letters, it says Aryan. And I'm like, whoa. And then also you can see Mein Kampf like available in like uh, train stations and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. I'm like, this is what a trip this is, you know. But what I later found out was that the swastika is actually a northern symbol. So it represents Ursa Major going around the pole star. Um, You know, it makes one full rotation throughout the year. And if you look at Ursa Major uh, once a season, you're basically going to see one arm of the swastika. And so the middle of the swastika literally is the northern sky. And from my research, the word Aryan goes back to an Arctic origin. So it's even interesting that Arctic AR mm, um, yeah. and, and Aryan AR, you know, there's a lot of uh, Arthur, actually King Arthur. Um, a, a lot of AR words have this northern sort of correspondence and actually goes back to uh, a great bear, uh, which Ursa Major is a great bear. The Ursa Major is, is the great bear. Ursa Minor is the little bear or the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. But what I found out was that people who claim an Aryan origin story um, or who identify with that, it a lot of it has to do... And, and some of these people are unaware of this. So this is more esoteric kind of ancient information. But my understanding is that there is an Arctic origin storyline somewhere in their history that they're actually identifying with. And in India, if you just decode the symbolism, uh, I think that there's a lot to be said about why they're attracted to certain symbols. And even when you go further east, you know, to me, it seems like a lot of the symbolism with these different groups, um, they are encoding and baking in this northern sort of story. So uh, the swastika, as an example, I think is a northern symbol. I think the wheel itself is a northern symbol because, again, you're talking about the spin of heaven. Um, wheel symbolism to me always goes back to this spin sort of concept. And so therefore the axle in the middle of a wheel would be the world axis essentially. Wheel um, in the sky keeps on turning. There you go, man. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so even the, um, Sri Yantra, it's like, there's a lot of mandala ish type symbols out there and it's all about that sacred center. And so there is a sacred center to the cosmos, to this world, to yourself. But to me, it really aligns with uh, what I refer to as um, a polar or northern cosmology or cosmography, that there is this sacred center that everything kind of emanated out from there seemingly. And I'm open to this being more of a metaphor as well. So perhaps it's not literal. Um, There's people who have different ideas of where the original North was. And so some people think literally uh, like in Northern Europe, that that was the original North Pole and then it shifted to where it's currently at. And so there's all sorts of different ideas out there. But this is, you know, this is my rabbit hole. This is what I want to learn more about and, and kind of uncover more truths with. And when you look into the esoteric side of different religions, you'll find that they're oftentimes is this veiled northern symbolism kind of baked into what they're putting out there. So right now I'm reading about esoteric Islam. I'm reading this book called The Man of Light by Henry Corbin. And in the beginning of the book, this is why I'm reading it, but in the beginning of the book, he basically says that esoteric Islam essentially is a northern 
um, spiritual sort of uh, like idea that esoteric Islam goes back to what he refers to as the mystic pole tradition. Um, and it has to do with this cosmic North sort of idea or concept. And he mentions geocentrism and he mentions all these different things. So I think really, you know, the polar tradition or Northern tradition, it's the earliest tradition. And so all of the symbolism that we see in the modern world is, is kind of born out of that. Um, but it, it really, is something that not a lot of people get into. So it's a very niche thing to do so research did, did on. Did Islam but. incorporate swastikas as well? Because that would be crazy. Because that, that, that would just, <laughs> that would like, um, just shed so much light on the, uh, so much of the Middle East conflict that's been going on for a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And the, and the yeah, Holocaust no. and everything. Like, why would it, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, well, dude, it's very interesting to me. I mean, just to kind of riff on that for a quick second. Part of the World War II narrative, I'm pretty sure, has to do with um, basically, I think it's a multi layered sort of thing. It's a multifaceted thing. So, whenever there's a worldwide conflict or storyline that's spread around, there's m many reasons for this happening. I don't think it's just for one sole reason, personally, but I think it's fascinating that World War II. I think what in part what it did was it got people to never look at this symbolism. And so the swastika is like one of the most holistic symbols to me in the world. And it, it really you gotta is take a, it back. A <laughs> Reclaim. I, hey, there's something to be said about that. Um, because well, this will be the second episode in this show's history where I hide swastikas in the episode art. I can already tell you that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, it, it's such a holistic, beautiful symbol. It represents the spin of the cosmos, right? Um, to me, it's interesting that World War II was about the allies versus the axis, right? And so kind of I, I talked about the world axis or the axis mundi. Uh, to me, it's interesting that I, I go on about poles and polar symbolism. And Poland well, played a big part in World War II. Mm. And so to me... There's a lot of symbolism actually baked into that whole entire entire narrative where I'm like, man, was, was this about actually defaming, smearing, tarnishing the swastika, tarnishing northern symbolism? Because to my understanding is, based on my research, it seems as though there have been solar factions for a long time and polar factions for a long time, northern factions for a long time. And this seems to be a constant sort of war against each other. And they are like diametrically opposed to each other in so many different ways. And so to me, it would make sense in a modern solarized world that these symbols would be, um, you know, looked at as, as being evil or demonic or something along these lines. And so I think that there's something there. That's fascinating. I mean, that's, uh, that's going to keep me up at night thinking about all that. Um, so, okay. So as, as far as, the practicality of astrology, like it can advanced astrology. Can that be used kind of like how Nancy Reagan always was, did it within the white house and everything can, is can advanced astrology truly be used to predict the future or of, at least the future of the era that we're in. And if so, like what's coming down the pike, what do we need to look out for in the next five years, 10 years? Gotcha. You know, for me personally, that is not how I use astrology and I think that there are gifted astrologers. I think there's gifted mediums and things like that out there. I don't claim to be one of those people. And so I've produced 
like dozens and dozens of astrology videos over the last few years. And I don't think I've ever once showed like a natal chart or a birth chart. Mm. And I just get so much out of the symbolism. I get so much out of the mythology and the archetypal nature. Every single sign is a very, very deep well that you can go down. And um, it's so fruitful for me as is that I don't know if I'll ever get around to predicting things or really getting into the science of the natal chart. In fact, if anything... I think a lot of people are lost in the sauce when they get really, really into astrology that way. They're so caught up in these angles and degrees and the nuances of these signs and and what's happening in their placements and everything, but they still don't have a strong backbone with what these constellations or what these stars and, and planets actually mean. And so for me, I feel like I get way more out of the meaning, trying to understand the meaning behind these things than I actually do trying to create this sort of predictive sort of idea of what I think the future is going to you know, have in store. And so I think a lot of people too, what it does is it kind of, um, they kind of want whatever they see in the chart to come true a lot of the times, I think, to validate maybe what they uh, thought was going to happen. And I think that I've seen people get so lost in this study that they forget to just be themselves and they forget that, you know, uh, it's almost like looking at a tiny little moment, a tiny little, uh, tiny little piece on the canvas instead of zooming out and appreciating the whole painting. They're just focused on the minutia of a little part of it. Yeah. Exactly. And from what I gather, a lot of ancient peoples, they had a much more sort of simplified uh, approach with astrology that they looked in the heavens and they kind of saw a storybook, actually, a very, very simple storybook. So what happens when the planet of war, you know, is crossing over the paws of, of the great lion, as an example, and they would create kind of a narrative out of that, whether it was an omen or something else. But I think being kind of like a a modern day astrologer, I think there's a lot of pitfalls actually within it. And so I tend to not focus on that side of things. So I can't really give you a forecast. Um, I'm inclined to think that things are going to get weirder and stranger (laughs) as just like a general sort of thing. It Uh, seems like that's that's pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the only constant has changed. What did Terrence McKenna talk about? Like uh, reality is an ever intensify novelty creating device or something like that yeah things things definitely right, right, seem yes. to only be getting uh, more complex and strange um right right well he, maybe here's a different question that um isn't uh i don't uh when it comes to i guess astrology aside when it comes to current events like in the zeitgeist and whether it's uh stuff in the news whether that's alternative news or mainstream news or, or just things in the culture war. How do you discern what's worth paying attention to and what's just meant to distract you when it comes to anything like that, like current event type things? You know, I'll say generally for me personally, um, I'm something of a auto hoaxer. I don't know if you've heard of that phrase, but that means uh, I you just assume if, just by default, you assume that it's not what it seems to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just assume that there's some sort of fuckery going on with it. And I've really personally, I've, I've detached myself, I think, from a lot of mainstream news and, and kind of what's happening out there. Um, 
you obviously you're going to see it. I'm online. I have social media accounts, things like that. So I have some sort of concept about what is happening at, uh, on the world stage. But by and large, for me, I, I feel like my time to really try and decode what's going on out there. Um, it was probably a handful of years ago. So I'm, I'm much more content kind of doing my own thing and, and kind of working on the things that I can control, right? Versus right. trying to change things or understand things that are out of my hands, essentially. Yeah, I guess I've kind of accepted that a lot of that stuff, no matter how serious it may seem, all comes down to entertainment. <laughs> like, it's like, right. um, which, you know, entertainment's good and fine, and it's not bad to be informed for sure. But, um, if it's negatively affecting your psyche, then it's best to just tune it out. But if you can laugh at it and have fun with it, then it's just you view it as entertainment. Um, right, right, exactly. You know, what happens on occasion, though, because I am deep in my studies with all of this stuff, is every once in a while, a story will come out that perfectly matches and fits the astrological sign that we're said to be in at the time. Like so much so that it's kind of undeniable once it's pointed out to you. And so those types of storylines do draw me in on occasion where I'm like, wait a second, how is this possible that this is happening right now? This has to be some sort of synchromistic sort of happening or it was uh, designed this way or something along those lines. But the coincidences can be too strong sometimes where I'm like, there is something um, being done here to embed or encode this sign within the story, or uh, this time of year is being being taken advantage of in a way and being used mm -hmm. to kind of fuel this storyline. And so I've seen that a number of times over the last handful of years. And sometimes that's like the social engineers doing that, but sometimes it's almost like a cosmic thing where it's like yes. whether it's in your own life or on a global scale, it's like nobody nobody orchestrated this. This is just somehow. Um, it, everything just lined up that way and it had to line up that way in some kind of weird way. Have you heard the, um, yeah, Philip K. Dick had this story about, he wrote this, he wrote a story that kind of had felt like he was channeling. Actually, I'll probably put the, I'll just put this in post after the, after this episode, the story that about Philip K. Dick, he he writes this book just really fast, way faster than he would ever write. And then he, after he finishes writing it, it's like the next day or the next week or something. He runs into this person and meets all these people. They have the same names as the characters in their book and the same scenarios. Mm. And, and it's like just spot on everything he just wrote. And it freaks him out. And he goes and talks to his priest about it. And his priest says, well, actually, you just wrote the book of Acts from the Bible. And then he goes and reads the book of Acts. And he's <laughs> he kind of he kind of like converted to Christianity just because of that. But there's like it's it's wow. whether it's on the global stage or just um something that happens in your personal life, there's definitely things that line up in a way where it's not just, um, it goes beyond the, the creepy people in charge planning things, but there's also a lot of symbol, like whether it's Freemasons or, you know, the quote unquote Illuminati, they definitely engineer events, um, to, to be very symbolic. And, uh, yeah, yeah. exactly. 100%. And it makes sense too, you know, um, if this kind of symbolism resonates with people, if it's sort of hardwired in us, if there's something, you know, that you maybe could describe as an ancestral memory with some of these signs or, or basic symbols, you know, and, and it's effective, then yeah, I, I would probably use it too. Do you think the deception and manipulation uh, that we see of the by the people in charge is inherently bad? Or sometimes are there maybe good factions uh doing stuff like that too 
I'm not so much interested in like white hat type narratives because it seems like nothing that these white hats are, um, you know, what, what, what people say that they're going to do seems like it never really happens. Topium. Yeah. Topium. Exactly. But at the end of the day, I, I do have more of a perspective where I just don't think mother nature makes mistakes. And so I don't think mother nature makes mistakes. I think we're all here for a very good reason. I think that there is a uh, purpose or that there's a greater intention for us being here. And I look at this as uh, an opportunity to grow and to learn and and to really um, kind of go deeper within. And I think that all of these different narratives that play out on the world stage I tend to actually see the silver lining with them. And so I don't see it as either a lost cause or that this place is hell. You know, if it is hell, because uh, that's like a Gnostic sort of idea or that this is some sort of matrix. I definitely came thing. to that conclusion on acid one or, once or twice that we're in a hell room. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I still think it's... A- interesting and i'll listen to people talk about it and i have a few uh authors and researchers and and things like that that i really respect and admire and they tend to have that approach and to me if it is uh you know if it is a prison planet um to me it's like it's actually it's to benefit us you know that it's not um actually as bad as what you think it might be but i also i'm i'm someone who thinks that we go on after death, you know, so reincarnation, what does that look like exactly? I'm there's lots of different that. ideas. Yeah, there's lots of different ideas out there about the dynamics of that, the exact setup or, or you know, the steps that follow uh, once you perish. But I have a pretty strong inclination that we do go on after the fact. And so um, I think that, you know, the only fear uh, is like fear itself. You know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. So I try and have a, you know, a holistic sort of understanding of things. And when you look at death symbolism, it always is tied to uh, birth. It's always tied to rebirth right. and uh, creating something, you know, that's new. And to me, that gives me a lot of comfort personally. And so a lot of the things that I see that's happening out there, um, I, I, I don't get too concerned with it personally. Like I said, I, well, I try and control the things that I can and, and accept the things that I can't. Well, it definitely seems like the human race is all one combined cosmic entity in some like throughout time and history. That's my my research and mostly my direct experience through like ego death stuff has been that the human race is one collective soul, at least on a on some kind of a level. But if this is a prison planet we're in, like that's it's a scary thought. It seems like it's true. But also uh an embryo inside of an egg yolk to that egg yolk, the shell is a prison, but you have to be in there to be protected until you're, uh, until you're advanced enough to break out of the shell and move on to another stage. Right. So if, the, if that's it, just because this, this is a, a pr- prison planet we're locked on, ideally it's because we're, we'll eventually grow out of that and move on to another area. Right. Right. I, I, for some reason, the word that generally comes to mind when we talk about this stuff is necessary. And so, if it's happening, that means that it's necessary. So if I broke my leg this afternoon, that was necessary because I wasn't paying attention or something along these lines, right? So I tend to accept what has happened. I have a radical acceptance sort of philosophy, I suppose. So I have friends that want to break out of the matrix, destroy the matrix, you know, uh, kill the demiurge or whatever you want to say. Um, I have... 
I would love to talk to some of those people. That's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know. I I didn't know there were people actively trying to break out of the simulation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. For sure. There's, there's a whole sort of collective out there of people that are kind of like that. And I personally, and it's interesting and I I don't mind talking to these people. What's their strategy? Sorry to interject, but what's their strategy on that? If you could just sum it up quickly, what's their strategy for how to do that? There's different approaches. So there's one person I'm thinking of in particular, just because it's the most radical sort of approach that I've heard. Um, He actually thinks you can uh, break the matrix or escape the matrix using technology. And so he calls it um, like a, a black magical sort of device. And so a lot of the people that are really interested in this um, are interested in black magic and and kind of uh, esoteric and occult studies and things like that. But that scares me. He too thinks <laughs> <laughs> he thinks that with uh, technology and with electricity and using the right sigils and this and that that you can actually do things to affect the matrix at large. And he's been working on this device uh, for a number of years now. So there's people taking approaches like that and they're getting like involved with physics and science and and you know all of this other kind of stuff esoteric sciences well what happens if you succeed at do building some kind of technology that gets like create some kind of cheat code for you to get out before you're meant to and then you get cast into like some kind of even worse prison for a trillion years because you broke the rules (laughs) but if they're like ah you broke the rules buddy well, that's why I, I see a lot of flaws in a lot of these people's <laughs> uh, perspective on this, because I just to me, I'm like, if someone can break the matrix, why haven't they done it yet? In my personal Tesla opinion, was probably trying to work on stuff like that and, you know, Crowley and all these people. But to me, it seems like. Um, I don't know, it goes back to Yoda, uh, the <laughs> quicker, easier, more seductive, but self-improvement, even though it might take us another hundred million years as a human race to get evolved enough seems like that's the only way that it's going to work Uh, right right yeah i'm inclined to think that and so i think that um i have more of a instead of a uh, breaking or escaping the matrix i have more of a perspective where i'm accepting the matrix and uh because i think that what happens here seems to be necessary going back to this idea that mother nature doesn't make mistakes doesn't mean you don't defend your family. It doesn't mean that you don't have a backbone. Um, in fact, it's it's kind of the opposite, I would say, in a lot of ways. It's actually very empowering um, for me personally, the way I, I tend to look at things. And so um, I have this radical acceptance, and I think that the human body actually is very much in line with the same sort of philosophy where Mother Nature doesn't make mistakes. And so um, I have a, a, a different attitude about the human body and what yeah, but it's what if Father Nature beats his wife? you know <laughs> like right right you know there's there's a lot of tragic things that happen here you know um but there's a lot of seemingly tragic things that happen in the animal kingdom too right and so um to me i just see it that this place is something of a uh, what's the word? It's almost kind of like this uh, recycling sort of center or location or whatever. Everything just eats itself here. Mm-hmm. And so even it's interesting that death has the word eat right there uh, in the middle of the word. Mm. And so everything consumes mm. something else here. And so this is how it has to be. So again, it's like it's happening because it's necessary. Kind of like what you said with the egg 
shell metaphor, you know, that um, in order to have a physical existence, how else do you think it's going to work here? So, yes, people are going to have the ability to murder people and do like atrocious things. And, you know, people can rob other people and do, you know, any any sort of uh, any number of immoral things, you know, but that's what this place is designed for. You know, it's almost like uh, playing a game. And then you're like, oh, I can do this and that and, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, you have you have this freedom to do all of these different things. You can it's uh, up to you to make these choices and decisions and everything else. And so I tend to see everything here as being very balanced and fair, actually. So I I haven't seen anything that I consider to be unfair in years. Everything that I kind of see and absorb, I'm like, fuck, man, this is pretty brutal. Um, What a gnarly story. But I'm like, damn, that's the world we live in, though, right? It's just like um, I can't have the ability to enjoy, you know, uh, this a kind of a carnal lifestyle, you know, um, I, we, we need to have, um, in order for physicality to exist, there needs to be the openness for bad things to happen, essentially. Right. That's what a larger scale. It's not necessarily bad though. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I've always said when it comes to if, if God or the universe is all about storytelling, it's like if, if paradise would be pretty shitty, that's why the Christian idea of eternal heaven and it doesn't track with me, at least how people describe it. Um, Cause it's like, that's pretty much hell too. So like if you, if Lord of the Rings, if Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings to just be a bunch of hobbits hanging out in the Shire, it would be boring as shit, but you have to have Sauron and orcs and good versus evil because the hero's journey is uh, if it's just the, the hero has to have like struggle in a journey for it to be, have any kind of meaning. Um, that's it. N- now, so, okay, so do you think it seems like the forces of, I mean, I guess, I don't know if you call it evil, but like the um, malicious forces rule the uh, geopolitical sphere and the esoteric sphere of Earth in current day. But when it comes to cosmically, like higher beings and stuff, is it all, good guys always win at the end? In the in the end, I assume, or if you, I mean, at the, at the top top, it's all one and there's no differentiation between good and evil but i don't know i'm rambling does that question make sense like what is the good always wins in the end is that a fundamental truth of the universe do you think you know i'm kind of inclined to either think that um yes that that is the case and that uh the arc just goes towards you know this positive sort of uh perspective and that um ultimately it's all a benefit right and i think that the human struggle or the human condition a lot of the times um, struggles with being a physical person, a material person, but also being uh, spiritual as well. And so this is kind of like this thing that we're always constantly trying to reconcile and, and kind of figure out and harmonize, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm either inclined to say, yes, I think that's true, or just like what you said too, uh, on a complete holistic sort of perspective it just is you know that maybe even morality uh might be kind of a human sort of uh construct or or whether things are positive or negative that's more of a like a human way of sort of looking at things um maybe perhaps even more important than that that things are actually just balanced here you know that there's a a grand balance you know to the cosmos and to the universe so everything here seems to me um it's where exactly it needs to be, you know? So right now in your life, no matter where you're at, you are where the universe wants you, you know, whether you think that's good or bad, or you're, you're riding some high or some low, 
you are literally uh, you you're fulfilling your purpose <laughs> by doing what you're doing here, and so that's generally how I tend to look at things. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to that idea at all. I agree with you on one level, but on a it, it gets tricky with like it, it gets tricky to a certain point because it almost eliminates free will at that point or motivation. I guess I don't know. It's like it, if if you're exactly where you need to be, what's the point in self improvement and working towards goals and well, it's uh, it's where you need to be right now, but it doesn't mean that that's where you need to be tomorrow or right, next okay. week or next <laughs> yeah. year. And so that that's how I look at it because a lot of people um, will look at their lives or they might go through some sort of trial or tribulation or whatever. And they're like, man, I just can't believe uh, this is where I'm at. This is like what's going on in my life. I didn't get this thing or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation might be. I went through a divorce to me. Um, what actually is going on is that these are gifts. So your traumas are gifts. So your wounds are actually gifts. So just like what you said, it's like the hero's journey sort of idea. It's like those different struggles that the hero goes on during his journey, climbing that mountain, you know, um, that's a gift as difficult as it might be as hard as it might be. Um, these are gifts that you can transmute to actually be wind at your sails to actually help propel you forward. And so that's why I tend to look at your own individual struggles, uh, these different valleys that you might go through, uh, dark night of the soul, what have you, um, believe it or not. Um, these are precious things that really deserve to be kind of, um, held up and, and looked at as such instead of, denouncing your story instead of sweeping these mistakes quote-unquote mistakes under the rug i think that you can kind of have this approach where you're looking at it and you can kind of see that oh there's actually value actually believe it or not in me hitting rock bottom there was a value in there and so i think having that attitude is is probably better than uh what shoulda coulda and um you know regretting whatever your decisions might be yeah i, I can that, get that, that's how that. i see it personally no I, I, that makes a lot of sense um okay well in that in the on that note and then i want to move into some uh sure. some clips here before we wrap but uh it, okay so then what would you if you had to just put it to one thing because i i asked uh john uh from fish tank uh when he was on the same question actually this, this first thing i asked him was what is the single most important thing if you just had to nail it down to one thing what's the single most important thing that someone can do to improve their life Right. That's a good question. Um, you know, it actually sounds like it's not that big of a deal. And I do tarot readings for people, by the way. And so I hear different people's opinions and, and different people's storylines and stuff like that. And I hear people's struggles um, like fairly often. And some people have asked me, like, what can I do to improve my life? What can I do, you know, to turn things around or whatever? And it sounds maybe like it's counterintuitive, but it's very, very simple. And I asked them, are you in touch with your body? Are you, are you in touch with yourself physically? Meaning, do you exercise? Do you sweat? Do you breathe? Do you work your muscles? You know, is your body online and engaged? Or are you looking at the phone all day? Or are you just, you know, behind a computer all day or something like that? Mm -hmm. And I am not surprised that a lot of people that I've talked to aren't engaging themselves that way. And so to me, um, mind, body, spirit, right? So 
it sounds like it's a simple sort of thing, but I would recommend to people like the single most important thing is if you're not in touch with your physical body, I would start there. And it's amazing, you know, what you can do to actually feel better and start thinking more clearly and seeing things more clearly. Um, When you're disengaged from your physical body, it's going to bring all of those things down. So mind, body, spirit. So to me, instead of doing and that like would include things like that would include dietary things sure. and uh probably sobriety would you throw that in there with it too i would say if, if you need to go through that phase yeah for sure you know um to me it sounds like it's kind of new agey type stuff or whatever but getting clean air you know drinking water grounding being outside just like listening to the birds and like touching i even think literally like physical live things putting your hands in the dirt you know having a garden things like that like Mm -hmm. to me these are very like earthy types of things and for me personally because i can get stuck in my own head i can be more of a a watery kind of like uh airy sort of person so i tend to be focused on ideas and concepts and emotions and things like that and so once i really started engaging my physical body and all on all these different levels i was personally surprised to see you know how much i had grown and how much more balanced uh, i feel so you can't ignore the fact that we live in a physical reality right and so i think in in engaging your physical body i think can do wonders for a lot of people and i think that sometimes when people ask me what should they do? I think that they uh, are assuming that I'm going to recommend, again, some like meditative thing or some book, some esoteric book or whatever. And to me, it's just like get in your body and and really and feel good about yourself and, and engage with yourself. And I think that a lot of other things kind of like um, get untangled from there personally. Good. Oh yeah, that was a good answer. This is good. All right, let's do a let's do a little uh, flatter segment here. I'm the man. I had a clip, uh, mostly just for lols. I was pulling just some debunking videos. In fact, I have. Uh, are you familiar with famed boxer Mike Tyson? <laughs> I've heard of him. Yes, from the show Mike Tyson I- Mysteries on Cartoon Network. <laughs> yes, I. Uh, he put out a video game once, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Is that something yeah, yeah. we should be concerned with? So he was, Graham Hancock, if you're familiar with him, was on Mike Tyson's podcast, Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson, where Mike Tyson smokes a bunch of weed. It's a good pun, good name yeah. for a podcast. Um, but Graham Hancock was on there. This is a little shorty, um, 30 seconds on Graham Hancock's debunking of flat Earth. Thoughts on flat Earth conspiracy theories. Yeah, conspiracy isn't theories in general. I have to say, the Earth is not flat. <laughs> we live on this huge ball in space. I just have no doubt about that. It's an unnecessary thing. Why does the Earth need to yeah. be flat? And the ancients knew this. The ancients knew this forever. The ancient Egyptians knew this. Everybody knows that the Earth is not flat. You just need to just need to stand on a cliff and look at a distant ocean horizon and see a ship come towards you, and you'll see the the funnel of the ship first before you see the the deck of the ship. Yeah. That's because it's coming around a curved horizon. I've done this experiment, and that's never happened for me. Has that worked for you? Yeah, right. Um, no. So I, I mean, don't know what he's me, talking about. Right, right. Yeah, this is a, that's a common one for people to throw out there. Um, I used to have a camera called the P900, and 
a lot of people purchased it who are interested in geocentrism and everything else. And the zoom on this camera, at least at the time, was incredible. Um, so you could really zoom in close on a lot of distant objects. And I remember going to the ocean and, you know, from the, your naked eye, this ship has disappeared, right, quote unquote, over the horizon line uh, around the, the curve of the Earth. But if you zoom in with a camera, you can see that it actually, you know, the full thing actually comes into focus. So when I've tried my simple experiment with that, uh, I was able to see the full thing. But with your naked eye, though, um, and if it went far enough with uh, and you're still zoomed in, it would disappear at some point. You know, it's this isn't uh, an infinity sort of uh, thing where you can just see forever and ever and ever. Right. The horizon line yeah. um, think things get smaller and smaller. Right. But if you have a powerful enough zoom, it, it can come into focus and you can see the full thing. Like I debunked that myself the second time I was ever at the ocean with a telescope. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. here's a here's a guy. Um, this is a uh, airplane pilot. And uh, well, I'll just yeah, I'll just go on here. He's some YouTuber guy. I have a way to once and for all prove whether the Earth is flat or not. I'll explain it all. Coming up. Oh. Oh. Wow. wow. Hey, 7-4 crew, welcome back. If you don't know me, my name's Kelsey. I'm a wow. 747 pilot. My channel, 7-4 Gear, is all about aviation. I get asked almost on a daily basis in the comment section here on YouTube well, or on Jewish, my right? Instagram, something along the lines of this. Is the Earth flat? Tell me the truth. Why are you lying about the Earth being flat or not? And it's surprising to me because I've watched some videos about people who believe the Earth is flat. I, I have some time sometimes on these 15-hour flights during my rest period. I, I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube or Netflix. Anyway, I watch a lot of that stuff, and I found it interesting to find out that there were some famous and very wealthy people who believed that the Earth was flat. At one time, Shaq, as you guys all know, thought that the Earth was flat, and then he said it was a joke. I don't know. Kyrie Irving apparently is somebody that believes that the Earth is flat. I don't know if it's an NBA thing. What, what kind of racist shit is that? Un believable that's like when people go uh when people refer to black people so they don't get banned from youtube instead of saying the n-word they say basketball people <laughs> basketball individuals this guy's like i don't know if it's an nba thing Shaq and that's hilarious <laughs> oh yeah God. yeah it's like what the this guy's kyrie irving apparently is somebody that believes that the earth is flat i don't know if it's an nba thing either way I get asked about it all the time, and I thought, you know what? Let's talk about this. The Flat Earth Army, or the people who believe that the Earth is flat, believe that this is what the Earth looks like. This is the map that they use. I've been shown it by several different people, and this is what it shows in the documentaries as what the Earth looks like. In these documentaries that I watched, I've seen several different strategies from them to try to prove how and why the Earth is flat and with lasers and all kinds of different things. Nothing that really made a lot of sense to me or no one like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking, explaining how it's possible. I haven't really seen anything. So the only way it's going to make sense to him is if notorious fucking retard, professional idiot Neil deGrasse Tyson explains it to him. It's like, I saw these documentaries and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I didn't see him in a single one of them, so I don't know about it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> mo most of this is uh, an emotional response. Yeah. Right. And so that's how it is with um, information too. just any information, conspiratorial information or whatever. And I really think that I, I see a very clear correspondence, by the way, with symbolism and I guess what, what the truth is. And to me, the correspondence that I see is that 
if you're unwilling to investigate self, um, that you're going to be uh, you're bead on the truth on reality is going to be obfuscated i think so there's a relationship between lying to yourself um on a personal level and then not having an accurate discerning view on reality i think that there's a relationship there so i think the more you discover about yourself and your own truth i think truths about the world become kind of um easier to discern or they become exposed to you sort of thing and so to me if you're unwilling to investigate some of these things on the world stage, you know, um, to me, it, it says something about your lack of investigation within too. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that people would be fearful of, of going into these depths and, and looking and, and peering and, and trying to uncover, you know, these alternative sort of ways of looking at reality. Um, because I think it says something about their internal life as well and, and probably their lack of investigation within. I agree. And, and I'll, excuse me. And I'll say this too. Two I only know two pilots in real life. Do you know what both mm. of them have in common? They What's believe that? in chemtrails and they believe in flat earth. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. Interesting. Um gotcha. Now well, there you go. I'm yeah, but uh I know that's not probably rep- that's a anecdotal, but all right, back to this pilot guy. This is only nine seconds here, just Nothing that really made a lot of sense to me or no one like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking, explaining how it's possible. I haven't really seen anything, but I have a much simpler option. All right. What do you think his simple experiment, his simpler option is going to be to prove once and for all? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Is it going to be like a, a balloon type thing or something? <laughs> you have a balloon with a fisheye lens? Um, <laughs> right. Well, I'll just... See if you can follow this here, because this to me is sure. idiotic. All right, let's get a bunch of flat earthers together that you get at your conventions. You can sell some tickets. Hey, you can even make some profit on it. It doesn't really matter to me, but you can charter this aircraft and go anywhere you want to go. If you choose my airline to charter the 747 from, I will volunteer to fly that aircraft, and we can all be Christopher Columbus for a few days. I've even come up with a basic flight plan of where to go so you can prove or disprove your theory. We'll start off here in Miami, and we'll fly down to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Obviously, this will have to happen when COVID is all done, but that gives you some time to plan and sell tickets. Now, we'll get down there. It's roughly like an eight or nine hour flight, just depending on weather and things like that. We'll get down there and we could take a day or two of a vacation down there in Buenos Aires. It's a pretty cool city. I've been there a bunch and you can explore the city. And then we'll go from Buenos Aires down to Melbourne, Australia. Now, as many of the Flat Earth Army people know, there are things like FlightAware where you can track a flight. You'll have the flight number, the tail number, and all those types of things. So the people who aren't on the flight will be able to track the flight and see where it's going. So they'll be able to see it leaving Miami, down to Buenos Aires, and Buenos Aires, down to Melbourne. They'll be able to track that flight in real time and see everything. As well, you're more than welcome to bring a compass on board. You can see the direction that we're going once we take off from Miami. You'll see that we're headed south and all of those things. But I have more options to help you prove your theory. First, if we were to go from Buenos Aires to go to Melbourne, based off of your map, we would have to fly all the way up back through America, over part of Canada, some of Asia, and then through the north part of Australia to get all the way down to the south part in the regular global world of Australia, which is where Melbourne is. 
That means it would be about three times as long. I'm just guessing based off of looking at your map, about three times the amount of flight time, so roughly 27 hours. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, well, the government could lie and make it look like on the computer that you're really going a different direction as part of a big scam. And Kelsey, you look like you're maybe part of the government. But I swear, I'm not. So he says, I swear I'm not, and then winks at the camera. <laughs> now, this guy, just right. to summarize what his, his plan is, he said that all the planes that he flies are fitted with a warning system to where if you are headed towards impact with any solid object, like a mountain, for example, it will ding the alert system. So his, his proof here is we're going to fly towards the ice wall, and if there's actually an ice wall there that's that tall – the alarm, mm -hmm. the alert system will ding, and then we'll, you'll be right, and we'll turn around. Now, I did some internet sleuthing. I mean, by internet sleuthing, I went to the comment section in this dumb fucking video, and <laughs> literally, there's tons of people. Well, first of all, there's the people making fun of anything flat Earth, but there's a lot of people saying, like, uh, where's it? There was a, there was a couple YouTube channels, like flat Earth proof YouTube channels, that said they've been trying to email him to set up tickets. And actually do this, and he's been ignoring all their emails, and this whole thing was just a big bluff. Like he's not actually going to do it. Mm. And that's mm. what that's th that is just the prime example of a debunking video when it comes to this stuff. And that right there is why I'm more and more geocentric because they have got nothing. It, like it. they can't yeah. debunk shit. It's crazy. It's it's no. actually shocking to me. It it is. It's really it, it's very surprising i know it really is a uh, paradigm shift you know yeah. so i don't take this lightly because uh, i understand that people are on their different paths with everything and that's why to me personally i don't think i was really ever maybe early on a little bit with some select friends or whatever but uh i'm never trying to really convince anybody personally because people if, if they're emotionally not ready to the, uh, for this information which is kind of what i was talking about earlier um this investigation within to me it's like your emotional body filters everything so if you have an emotional resonance with a certain idea and someone gives you information that is uh, going against that sort of reality or worldview there's nothing you're going to be able to say or do in a lot of ways this this whole debate is not about proofs in my opinion it's not really about proofs there, there's actually more of a um, I guess it would be more of a psychological, emotional, spiritual sort of battle <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and to me, it's just amazing that this has been debated for so long. I have illustrations of a supposed protest in the 1800s where people have homemade signs and they're all wearing globes and they're all holding, I believe it's a sword as well. And they're saying Earth is not a globe. And so the symbolism that they're trying to get across is uh, a self-decapitation of uh, decapitating themselves with this globe head sort of thing on their on their body. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, th so this was a public uh, protest saying that we need to get away from this spherical Earth and model. And what year was this? Simply put, I don't know the exact specific year, but it was in the 1800s, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. Lincoln and days. so what was that? Abe Lincoln days? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To to your and point so, um good. about like it's you don't try to convince anybody like anything even close to this. Like I don't even try to convince people about 9/11 anymore. I realized it was a complete waste go. of time trying to convert anybody when I couldn't even convince fam family members with scientific documents I printed out to them not to get the COVID vaccine. 
It's like, if I can't right. convince you on this, like I'm wasting my time on anything else. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so I think what I've learned over time for me personally is use your energy wisely. And if somebody's interested in the information and they want to learn about it, that is beautiful. It's awesome. Engage them. Do not try and go out of your way to convince other people. And so um, to me, one of the bigger proofs too has been seeing how, at least according to my research, a lot of esoteric groups seems to me they're actually they're using a more geocentric model not a heliocentric model and so uh, a lot the of UN's the map right yeah right totally and then what's beyond you know the perimeter or the edges there that's kind of a whole conversation as well you know because i'm starting to think that we just essentially live in something of a field you know and that probably the further away you get from this central pole uh probably the field dissipates or you literally um i don't know if there's a, a finite sort of edge to it i think maybe um almost like a hologram or something like that it kind of just like fades away or something or perhaps even you know physically we maybe can't even travel that far because literally of the uh, resonance of the earth and the resonance of our bodies and stuff like that we're kind of like um maybe that's how you get out of the matrix maybe that's how you perhaps. break the matrix you get to the end perhaps perhaps yeah and they don't want us to so, get out. Right, right. I like well, the idea that it's an that infinitely you... generating, like it infinitely generates like Minecraft. So if you just keep mm. going more, infinitely more creation will be created once the observer is observing it and it just goes forever. It's possible too. <laughs> Some people think that what happens is, is that once you go far enough out, you're actually find yourself at the center. And so kind of to your point where it's this, it's like this infinite loop sort of idea um it like kind of reminds me like a little Pac-Man bit about when you go from one side of the screen to the other right okay. yeah 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 exactly so who knows you know i don't really know but uh i do know that it's it's not worth probably wasting your breath uh trying to convince anybody because really what you're asking them to do like i said is go through a paradigm shift which means to go through a whole big psychological you know evolution which uh is, is really is a big ask yeah Oh, yeah. So what I was going to say, though, is that there are esoteric circles that seemingly to me what they're encoding is more of a geocentric sort of reality and that this is kind of what they're practicing. And so to me, that was a very interesting thing. Uh, I've been surprised at how many occult groups acknowledge the North in their in in their rituals and how they acknowledge the north and and what they're choosing to do with this sort of geocentric reality um it seems as though with that kind of material uh the further you go the deeper you go the sun takes less and less prominence that it's not about this sort of solar worship but it goes back to kind of what i was talking about earlier this northern tradition or polar tradition or stellar tradition there, there's many different names for this earlier way of looking at at reality um and so on so many different levels the, the more i continue to research the more I, i'm just convinced that uh the narrative the storyline the map that we were given growing up is just it's just not accurate so so we've got a bunch of demons that are creating light pollution and building all these cities and everywhere and keep blocking us out from our um our uh connection to the stars which is way more mm. important than the sun and the moon i guess um now do, right do you think that um i know we gotta wrap here in a second but one more question do you think 
that there's a, how do I put this? Do you think that when we hear about interactions with fairies and uh, when there was things like angels visiting people and, and uh, people performing miracles and all this type of stuff in the past, do you think that humans still would have that capability, but it's been almost bred out of us deliberately or because of the fluoride in the water and the electromagnetic frequencies like David Icke talks about in the airwaves that whether it's intentional or just by um, kind of like how light pollution is where it's blocking out our view of the heavens. Do you think that whether it's intentional or unintentional that humans would have interactions with these different types of uh, multidimensional beings and and we would have uh, more of a enhanced abilities mentally, spiritually, if there wasn't all this kind of pollution um, in the food and the water and the air and whatever else like do you, do you think that humans are innately like that and it's been uh we're being blocked from accessing that through one way or another yeah yeah uh no that's a great question and and i'm not opposed to that way of thinking at all it seems as though early man maybe um was psychic as an example and that language, the uh, the language that we use today, you know, uh, verbal language and even the written word, that these are later sort of constructs or ideas. Um, and that perhaps early man didn't really have the need for these things because we were just communicating non-verbally. And I was able to perhaps get across um, more ideas. Our bandwidth was bigger, basically, if if that was the case right um and so yeah that that is one thing that you can get into is this idea that early man had all of these different sort of abilities um at our disposal and even who knows what the earth really looked like and and what was really going on here during our early development uh as well so people have put out all sorts of different theories over time about the quality of the air you know, if uh, gravity, quote unquote, gravity was different, you know, what plants or animals maybe were available to us, uh, readily available to us, what the climate was like, you know, whenever you talk about paradise or Eden or, or utopia, one thing that's always said is that there was no need to even go out and really have to look for food. It was just, it was so readily available that it was all just over the place. So that wasn't even a concern. And the climate was so ideal that you didn't even really need clothing, that it was just perfect, you know, all the time. And so I'm open to that. I think there's something to that symbolically. Um, some people have put out the idea that we might live in a growth ring sort of system and that literally we just live on one ring land and that there's ring lands further north and there's ring lands further south. And it seems as though one of the things that people have put forward, um, and this is kind of embedded in some ancient texts as well, but that this ringland growth system perhaps um, grows from the inner uh, portion of the system and, and, and expands outward. So not unlike a ripple or not unlike tree rings. So the, the newest rings grow in the middle of a tree, and then the oldest ring is, is the uh, outer portion of the tree, right? And so the inner ringlands are, are more closely related to the north, and there seems to be just this natural correspondence with 
uh, land closer to the north being more like Eden, the Garden of Eden, and being more angelic and favorable to mankind, and that the further ringlands outward actually become more hostile and you're more vulnerable and that the potential entities or whatever that live on these outer ringlands are actually more Saturnian. They're a bit darker, you know, and they're older and more ancient and things like that. So older entities further out, younger entities further in. Um, this relates to mercurial symbolism too, which I think is really interesting, but that's a whole sort of like side note there. But yeah, I think that humans, we are so powerful that I think that there's a reason why we're constantly being given, you know, the, these various poisons and, and why our airwaves are, are polluted. And there's, you know, um, you know, basically light pollution and noise pollution. And, you know, we're constantly being distracted and things like that. To me, there's probably multiple reasons behind all of this, but I think some of it does speak to what you were talking about, you know, it's a way of nerfing us and it's, it's a way of kind of keeping us at a certain level. Um, because I think that we're probably far more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Buy some water filters, people. <laughs> Dude, thanks so much. This has been awesome. Um, symbolic studies.com, uh, symbol at symbol studies on Twitter. Where else can people find you and see what you're doing? Yeah, I'm all over the place. So uh, YouTube, Instagram, things like that. But SymbolicStudies.com, that's the main hub. So they can find all of my social media accounts from there. Awesome, man. Dude, thanks so much. Yeah. Next time we'll have to talk about the black cube of Saturn because I feel like we were leading there, but I don't have time to get into it today, unfortunately. <laughs> no worries, man. Sounds like a plan. Dude, it was awesome. Thanks again, man. Uh, like I said, everybody, SymbolicStudies.com. Everything Mario's doing will be linked in the show notes of this episode. Please go check them out. And, dude, you're the man. I, uh, I'm already excited to talk to you again. Hell yeah, man. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Take care. Take it easy, man. Later. And, um, and... Everybody knows that that, I mean. This is good. We were joking around again, sir. And it went too far, just like it always does. Someone always gets hurt. Wow. 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 Oh. Wow. Oh. Wow. What in the world is going on here? Is that something we should be concerned with? Let me just show you some fun stuff I found on Twitter. Shitmyass.com. 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 Shitmyass.com.
was a highway man Along the coach roads I did ride With sword and pistol by my side Many a young maid lost her bottles to my train Many a soldier shed his lifeblood on my blade The bastard taught me in the spring of 25 But I am still alive I was a sailor I was going upon the tide Where the sea I did abide I sailed a schooner around the horn of Mexico I went aloft to twirl the mainsail in a float when the yards broke out, they said that I got killed, but I am living still. I was a dam building across a river deep and wild, where steel and water didn't collide. A place called Boulder, old the wild Colorado. I slipped and fell into the wet concrete below. They buried me in that region that knows no sign. But I am still around. I'll always be around, 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 and around, around. I'm a man. I'm a Canadian. I am a Christian. I'm for real. I'm a white guy. I'm ready to kill. I'm a primitive. I'm like a raccoon in the garage. I'll blast starship across the universe divide And when I reach the other side I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can Perhaps I may become a highwayman again Or I may simply be a single drop of rain but I will remain I'll be back again And again And again And again And again I am basically I am a fraud I'm a patriot I am 1776 I'm a liberal I'm a reptoid clone of John Wayne uh, and Elvis I'm in a scientific matrix grid In the early phases of being inserted into an extermination system Let's unpack this. As you mentioned, the CIA, MI6, OSS before that, Hitler and his Gestapo, uh, the, 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 the Russian czars, they were all obsessed with mysticism. They were all obsessed with the occult. And they put massive amounts of money into scientists trying to quantify what was causing it, what was doing it, because it's a real phenomenon. There's also a lot of charlatans around it, but it, it's simply things... As David Icke says, not in the light spectrum. Now with the quantum mechanics and with all of the uh, observations they've done, where if you observe a neutron, uh, it, it won't jump you know, through a solid block of lead, but if you d d d don't observe it, it will. That there are a lot of laws to the universe. And so the CIA has spent hundreds of billions of dollars conservatively over the last you know, 70 years or so, since they were founded in 1947, with mind wars 
and with psychic soldiers and with all of that. And what they found was, and the Russians found this too, it's very real, but they can't control it. And so they'd rather chemicalize and dumb down and poison the public to lower consciousness uh, so that they don't have to deal uh, with that wild card. And so they know it's extremely real. And at the end of the day, when I analyze stuff, then I just use, you call it the conscious with the subconscious and the unconscious to just go with what is my gut level then of where this is going. I was reading globalist documents before I even got on air when I was in college and high school before that. And I was reading stuff they wrote in the 50s and 60s that I saw that had become reality by the 80s. And I saw things they wrote in the 80s that was coming true in the 90s. So it was accelerating. It was happening quicker. And so when I was reading all these UN documents and books and, and things about let's put fluoride in the water to reduce fertility and lower IQ, that'll make it more manageable. That's in uh, you know, major publications, major books uh, that, that you know, top White House science czars wrote decades ago. So that's where we are. So I knew that, well, if they've gotten all this done, and if what they said they would do decades ago, they got done, well, now they say they're going to start cutting off the resources and by 2020 launch Agenda 2030. And when I saw they got everything done that they talked about at the Rio de Janeiro Accords in 1992 for Agenda 21, that, that they had almost all that done, I went, whoa, they say by 2030, they want a collapse in industrial society, and then by 2045, a 90% reduction in human population. So I'm watching the trajectory of what they've said and what they've done and what their plan is. And I've seen them carry it out. They're a little bit behind. They're now having to rush it, uh, but they've, they're pretty much still on track. And so the train is still going to the same destination. It's just five, 10 minutes late. And so I want to derail this thing. I want to try to launch a great awakening to counter their great reset. That is the war for the world because this is Hitler 10.0 is what we're facing, where they deindustrialize, break up families, drug and dumb down, weaponize the culture, atomize society, isolate people, and, and then create a eugenics death cult, suicide euthanasia cult. I mean, th this is basically THX 1138 meets Soylent Green meets 1984. We've all sit, seen those Venn diagrams where it, it has all the dystopic books, Fahrenheit and, and, and uh, Brave New World and, and, and 1984 and V for Vendetta. And then at the middle of it, it says, you are here. And so that is literally what the globalists are doing. In fact, I would call them the, the transhumanist dystopians because they want to build a dystopia for us so bad and make us hate ourselves and make us think we're killing the earth that we commit internal suicide and cut off our life force and invert our life force to be successful and strong and stewards of the earth and build a beautiful planet and, and go off planet and, and, and just do incredible things. We're in a larval form right now. The eye has not seen, the ear has not heard what we're going to do, what we're going to be part of. And the globalists know the potential of humanity. They want to steal that potential. But if things stay laissez-faire and open and there's a free market of ideas, humanity is going to transcend to the next level. Then there'll be a challenge there. We're going to transcend again all the way to the 12th dimension until we merge with the Godhead, but we've got to be prepared and put through those levels before we literally enter nirvana. 
and 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 talk about dreams. I have had dreams, uh, not not the future dreams, but but dreams with the watchers, the angels, and they and they and they take me and round and show me the universe, show me destroyed cultures, show me just fantastical things no one's ever seen in a movie, ever read in a book. But they say you can't show people this, you can't talk about this, you can't give the specifics of this, and it's just it's un un unimaginably awesome and incredible and just energy fields, energy planets, uh, just anything you can imagine. And, and, and then they go, and don't worry about death. You are eternal. Worry about where your energy resonates. Have a taste of this. And it is total completion beyond ecstasy. Absolute no time. You're like, I never want to leave here. This is so satisfying. It's, and, and then, and then God says, yes. And now you will oversee with me all of the lower levels that are growing up towards us in our garden, and you will be able to see the endless beauty and competition and freedom. But the one thing you may say is a sin, God says, and it's not. God says, I've done this, but the one thing I feel a little guilty about, this is what this is God's only guilt, this omnipresent, all-powerful thing, is that I want to experience the universe through other sentient beings that have the seed of the universe in them, as Gandhi talked about. You are the potential little G God and, and I want to not be alone, and I want to experience free will. But because we give people free will and other creatures free will, then they have a potential to be destructive and try to build their own universes and break away from us, and it basically never works. Look at these billions of other failures that I thought they might make something better. They never did. And then God says, the only thing I don't know is where I came from. I am just here. And so help me discover where we came from and also understand we've created this multi-layer system so that even though creatures fail and fall into lower dimensions and fall in these other realms, they actually do, in endless infinities, have a chance to basically percolate back up and be given redemption. And I'll be attacked by classical Christians for that, but that's what I've been shown by God. And, it's, and I don't want to go back down and come back up. I want to go up, and I want to stay up, and I want to go all the way to the top. I want to merge with God at the 12th dimension. But I've got to be sanctified, purified, and ready for that. And, and, and the third dimension is the main launch base to all the other levels. Hey, man. Hey. Weren't you in the boat car? Yeah, you know, the, the guy guy with the hat gave me a ride in his, his car boat thing, and you were in the back seat with me. I mean, I'm not saying you don't know what you're talking about, but I don't know what you're talking about. Well, see, you guys let me off at this like, really specific spot that you gave him directions to let me off at. I get out, I ended up getting hit by a car, but then I just woke up because I was dreaming, and later than that I found out that I was still dreaming, dreaming that I'd woken up. Oh yeah, those are called false awakenings. I used to have those all the time. Yeah, but I'm still in it now. I, I can't get out of it. It's been going on forever. I keep waking up, but, but I'm just waking up into another dream. I'm starting to get creeped out too, like I'm talking to dead people, this woman on TV's telling me about how death is this dream time that exists outside of life. I mean, <sighs> I'm starting to think that I'm dead. Oh, 
want to tell you about a dream I once had. I know that's, you know, when someone says that, that's usually you're in for a very boring next few minutes. And you might be, but it sounds like, you know, what else are you going to do, right? Anyway, I read this essay by Philip K. Dick. What, you read it in your dream? No, no, I read it before the dream. It was the preamble to the dream. It was about that book, um, Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said. Do you know that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he won an award for that one. Right, right. That's the one he wrote really fast. It just, like, flowed right out of him. He felt he was sort of channeling it or something. But anyway, about four years after it was published, he was at this party, and he met this woman who had the same name as the woman character in the book, and she had a boyfriend with the same name as the boyfriend character in the book, and she was having an affair with this guy, you know, the chief of police, and he had the same name as the chief of police in his book. So she's telling him every, you know, all this stuff from her life, and everything she's saying is right out of his book. So that's really freaking him out, but you know, what can he do? And then shortly after that, he was going to mail a letter, and he saw this kind of um, you know, dangerous, shady-looking guy standing by his car. But instead of avoiding him, which he, you know, he said he usually would have done, he just walked right up to him and said, can I help you? And the guy said, yeah, I, I ran out of gas. So he pulls out his wallet and he hands him some money, which he says he you know, never would have done. And then he gets home and he thinks, well, wait a second. This guy, you know, he can't get to a gas station. He's out of gas. So he gets back in his car. He goes, finds the guy, takes him to the gas station. And as he's pulling up at the gas station, he realizes, hey, this is in my book, too. This exact station, this exact guy, everything. So this whole episode is, is kind of creepy, right? And he's telling his priest about it, you know, describing how he wrote this book. And then four years later, all these things happened to him. And as he's telling him to him, the priest says, that's the book of Acts. You're describing the book of Acts. And he's like, I've never read the book of Acts. So he you know, goes home and reads the book of Acts, and it's like, you know, uncanny. You know, even the characters' names are the same as in the Bible. And the book of Acts takes place in 50 AD when it was written, supposedly. So Philip K. Dick had this theory that time was an illusion and that we were all actually in 50 AD. And the reason he had written this book was that he had somehow momentarily punctured through this illusion, this veil of time, and what he had seen there was what was going on in the book of Acts. And he was really into uh, Gnosticism and this idea that this demiurge or demon had created this illusion of time to make us forget, you know, that Christ was about to return and the kingdom of God was about to arrive. And that we're all in 50 AD and there's someone trying to make us forget, you know, that, you know, God is imminent. And that's what time is. That's what all of history is. It's just kind of this continuous, um, you know, daydream or distraction. And so I read that, and I was like, well, that's weird. And then that night, I had a dream, and there was this guy in the dream who was supposed to be a psychic. But I was skeptical. I was like, yeah, he's not really a psychic, and I'm just thinking to myself. And then suddenly, I start floating, like levitating up to the ceiling. And as I almost go through the roof, I'm like, okay, Mr. Psychic, I, I believe you. You're a psychic. Put me down, please. And I float down, and as my feet touch the ground, the psychic turns into this woman in a green dress. And this woman is Lady Gregory. Now, Lady Gregory was Yeats's patron, this you know, Irish person. And though I'd, I'd never seen her image, I was just sure that this was the face of Lady Gregory. So we're walking along, and Lady Gregory turns to me and says, let me explain to you the nature of the universe. Now, Philip K. Dick is right about time, but he's wrong that it's 50 AD. Actually, there's only one instant, and it's right now, and it's eternity. And it's an instant in which God is posing a question. And that question is basically, do you want to, you know, 
be one with eternity? Do you want to be in heaven? And we're all saying, no, thank you. Not just yet. And so time is actually just this constant saying no to God's invitation. I mean, that's what time is. I mean, and it's no more 50 AD than it's 2001. You know, I mean, there's just this one instant and that's what we're always in. And then she tells me that actually this is the narrative of everyone's life. That, you know, behind the phenomenal difference, there is but one story. And that's the story of moving from the no to the yes. All of life is like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And then ultimately it's, yes, I give in. Yes, I accept. Yes, I embrace. I mean, that's the journey. I mean, everyone gets to the yes in the end, right? Right. So we continue walking. And uh, my dog runs over to me, and so I'm petting him, really happy to see him, you know, he's been dead for years. So I'm, I'm petting him, and then I, I realize there's this kind of gross, oozing stuff coming out of his stomach. And I look over at um, Lady Gregory, and she sort of coughs. She's like, <coughs> oh, excuse me, <coughs> and there's vomit, like, dribbling down her chin, and it smells really bad. And I, I think, well, wait a second, that's not just the smell of vomit, which is, you know, doesn't smell very good. That's the smell of, like, dead person vomit. You know, so it's like doubly foul. And then I realized I'm actually in you know, the land of the dead. And everyone around me was dead. My dog had been dead over 10 years. Lady Gregory had been dead a lot longer than that. When I finally woke up, I was like, whoa, that wasn't a dream. That was a visitation to this real place, the land of the dead. So what happened? I mean, how did you finally get out of it? Oh, man, it was just like one of those, like, life-altering experiences. I mean, I, I could never really look at the world the same way again after that. Yeah, but I mean, like, how did you, how did you finally get out of the dream? See, that's my problem. I'm, I'm like, I'm trapped. I keep, I keep thinking that I'm waking up, but I'm still in a dream. It seems like it's going on forever. I can't get out of it, and I want to wake up for real. How do you really wake up? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not very good at that anymore. But um, if that's what you're thinking, I mean, you, you probably should. I mean, you know, if you can wake up, you should. Because, you know, someday, you know, you won't be able to. So just, um, but it's easy. You know, just, just wake up. And it all goes back to the occult. All occult means is hidden. And so we're looking for the hidden. We're trying to actually illuminate people. And then you have the classic Illuminati that's claiming it's trying to illuminate, but it's actually trying to block it. But you boiled down my whole rant in 30 seconds earlier perfectly. The Luciferian energy says, I'm going to use all this divine and carve out my own thing and then basically create my own universe with my own followers, but then I've got to limit their free will. And whereas God says, you all get free will, but then God says, is it bad that I gave people free will? Because that actually then allowed a lot of evil to take place. And that's what the Satanists or Luciferian will always say. Your God allows all these bad things to happen. Well, that's what happens when you allow freedom. But then the universe would be a dead, empty thing, uh, or, or I guess with just a bunch of plants growing on it, uh, or, or you know, things that don't have higher consciousness, at least on the surface, if God did not give us this. And so the science we have today, if you showed an ancient Greek or Egyptian, they would say we were gods, but we're not gods. We just have what people envisioned as godlike power. People envisioned flying ships. People envisioned uh, you know, flamethrowers. People envisioned hydrogen bombs. People envisioned a lot because there was something in the space-time continuum that, that we knew was already real because it was a potentiality. Also, the universe, as we know, is a lot of things, but it's also a loop or a figure eight. 
and it's always coming back. So there's a psychic wavelength from the future bouncing back at us now. And that's why we have such a feeling of dread is because we've been on the wrong path. In fact, I wrote some notes before I came on. I had no, uh, no idea you would go there. But the first thing I wanted to say is we are at the end of an age and the system knows that. And they know currently the trajectory is humanity freeing itself. That's why they're trying to create an end of history now. They're trying to manifest all this Armageddon stuff to preempt what they think is coming so they can control it. And they're not controlling it. And they're never going to escape uh, the things they've done. And, and, and of course, mainstream media says there is no God. You have no free will. Mm-hmm. When we got the WikiLeaks of these thousands of top Democrats, they're obsessed with Salima and, and with Aleister Crowley and with the occult. And, and you look at them, they're pathetic. And the videos of their rituals that have come out, they're just weak people trying to pretend they're God by being selfish. And you, you you don't do that. You get closer to God by being selfless and, and, and by dialing into the universe and accepting it. And these people are cowards. They're greedy. They want to steal the future, and they're not going to get away with it. They're going to hurt a lot of people, and they're going to commit a lot of crimes. But in the end, their, their, their destruction will be their own because they will be cut off from God. And, and, and from what I've seen and read and, and studied and know, hell is not some description of burning fire. And you know, it's being cut off from the real universe, the real multiverse. And you don't want to be cut off from that. And if you make the decision to go create your own system and you decide not, and, and, and I get with the Luciferian, well, that's a slave master. And okay, well, the slave master gave you total freedom to go build your own thing. And then once you build it, you just built hell. And, and that really sums up everything. 